thank you very much, Chris, and uh, it's great to be here today. The two previous speakers, I think, have set up the arguments extremely well. Chris's proposition that a great deal more money is going to be needed for the NHS, and Paul's suggestion, quite correct suggestion, that there is no money. It is left to politicians to square that, try and square that circle, in the knowledge that health is going to be one of the huge issues in the election campaign that we already see uh, beginning to um, kick off. Even if we carry on as we are, the sort of route that Paul was sketching, where we continue to spend more and more on health and money's ploughed into there to the extent that barely a dustbin gets emptied or a playground gets open, even then, I think, there are going to be huge problems ahead. So more money, the answer... That we're here, that the question that we're here to consider today is one that would strike fear, I think, into the heart of any political leader. They're both terrified of spending commitments that can't be clawed back from elsewhere. The Conservatives, because they have a well-known fetish for austerity. Labour is fearful to the point of paranoia that it will be accused of profligacy of returning to its old formula of tax and spend. Yet both parties are all too aware that the health and social care system is heading for a precipice for all the reasons that have been well rehearsed, not least in this room, the ratcheting down of budgets, the growing demand, the advance of science, the trends of demographics, and the damage inflicted by the gross imbalance between a tax-funded NHS and an ad hoc system of social care. So there's not only a recognition that there's a problem, more than that, there's now a consensus about what should be done about it. That's in large part due to the King's Fund and to people like Stephen Dorrell, a frequent speaker and attender at these events. I've known Stephen since he was Health Secretary, long admired his work, and he was, I think, one of the first people uh, to speak out in favour of total integration of health and social care. That, I think, is now the accepted orthodoxy, but there is little agreement as to how it might actually be achieved. So here's a journalist's thumbnail sketch of what I see. Others in the audience may correct me as the current thinking by the Conservative and the Labour Party. The Tory strategy, I think, is kind of hang on and hope for the best. In other words, uh, not the opposition and hope that the whole thing doesn't fall off a cliff before the 2015 election. Jeremy Hunt's been quite skilful at painting himself as the patient's champion, the patient's friend, facing down malign forces in the NHS. But patients, I think, have a, a kind of limited appetite for such <coughs> arguments. People are, in general, very supportive of the NHS, of their doctors, of professionals, and I think they're likely to see any major trouble ahead as political rather than professional failure. The second and, and rather overarching tactic is to hope that the market can sort things out. And while obviously there's a role for private providers and private enterprise, greatly altering the role of the state would be controversial, in my view, and advisable. Uh, but nonetheless, there is considerable enthusiasm. Working as I do for a right-wing newspaper, I hear a great many people who think that co-payments, charging even a European model of social insurance, are not a way ahead, but the only way ahead. That's leaving aside social care, where I think the government's watered-down version of um, Andrew Dilnot's reforms are already being perceived as a system that will still leave some elderly people paying enormous costs. 
Moving on to Labour, there is, uh, as you might expect, a great deal of vagueness about what lies ahead. Labour can no longer rely on being the party of the NHS. Recent polling shows that they're only a few points ahead of the Conservatives on, uh, in an area that's <coughs> always been their key strength. And so the onus is on them to do something. They, again, are very keen on an integrated system, but it's still unclear how that would be set up and paid for. Andy Burnham, the Shadow Health Secretary, had hoped, I think, by this stage already, to have consulted on a levy to cover the extra costs of making social care into a properly funded service, rather than a poor relation that gets, what, 15 billion a year, as against the 104 billion or so spent on the NHS. That process is not, in my view, going to happen. Some commentators, nonetheless, are talking up the idea of an NHS tax. That might be in the party manifesto. I have some doubts about it. The IPPR, it's true, which is a think tank very close to Ed Miliband's, advocated just such a tax. Frank Field wants an extra penny on national insurance following the model quite successfully adopted by Gordon Brown. But I'm slightly doubtful there'll be any such promise for two reasons. The first is that Ed Balls, the Shadow Chancellor, would, I think, be resistant to it. And the second is that I am pretty sure Mr Burnham would oppose any levy on working-age people believing that they already pay more than their fair share. So my guess is that Labour is likely to take a different gamble. This weekend is their policy review, their national policy forum, when all these brilliant ideas they've been stewing over for the last however many years, couple of years, come to fruition. And one test will be whether it, fully, whether it recommends fully integrated health and social care budgets. Even if it does, that leaves the question of where the extra money comes from. <laughs> Mr Burnham's confident, I think, that a great deal can be saved by, by integration itself, by better technology, personal budgets, new health apps, devolution of money to communities and down to individuals. But he's never believed that that would be enough. So my guess is that Labour will go some way down the track of integration with no major initial funding promise, leaving reformers to hope that there's a sort of organic process under which the cost of end-of-life care imposed under the current system will, sooner rather than later, strike voters as being a death tax by another name. That would, in turn, free up Labour reformers to bring in, say, a version of the 10% levy on all the states that Mr Burnham's long favoured ever since he was, was Health Secretary. But the calculation, as things stand at the moment, I think, is that nothing very much can be done until the public mood is right. Many things might change that mood, not principally the great crisis we might be heading for. If that happens, then all bets are off. If the health service really starts to fall apart, then money, you can be sure, will certainly be found very quickly. Just very briefly, there is, as ever in politics, a third way on all this. Uh, some doctors believe that the NHS needs a bit more money but not a vast amount. What it really needs in this theory is for care to be just arranged very, very differently with more community-based hubs in the way the old polyclinics with a more human face so that they team up with social services to treat people's needs as well as their ailments so you can get everything from your chillblains fixed to daycare, whatever, all under the same roof. I was down 10 days or so ago at the old Olympic Health Centre, which is now being run as just such a community hub. 
Sir Cyril Chantler, later this parish, is, is involved in that. And he and uh, some, some leading specialists are doing some great work down there. And I think there may well be a lot of enthusiasm in the profession, you'll tell us, for that sort of model. So I hope that the, there's enough imaginative thinking for services really to change at what's undoubtedly a huge moment for healthcare. On the other hand, there is no money, there is never any political will for necessary steps such as closing existing hospitals, and in the wake of the Lansley reforms, politicians on both sides regard structural reforms with real suspicion. It seems to me that, again on the more optimistic side, the public would indeed pay more if they were asked towards health and social care, as long as they were assured that the money would be um, well spent on their behalf. question, I think, in what's going to be a very, very tight election is whether politicians are brave enough to, to ask them to do just that. Thank you very much indeed.